0: State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
2: So yes, that money is not everything, but it is a critical component to being an adult. And so it behooves you, no matter what age you are, to set aside time to slowly but surely work toward getting better at it. Like it's it's an ongoing process. Like where I am now, I'm better than before, but I still have ways to go. I'm never going to be done getting better at, at, at getting good with money. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to Human to Human, a Revolt Network podcast. Human to Human is a space to reimagine self-love, strengthen interpersonal relationships, and peel back the layers of the human experience, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and I am so excited to share this episode with you. This episode's guest is author, businesswoman, bonus mom, and financial educator, Tiffany Aliche, or better known as The Budgetista. So there are stocks, there's crypto, there's 401ks, investments, insurance, budgets, savings, payroll, and the list goes on and on when it comes to money. In this episode, Tiffany and I get human to human about what finances can and should look like at different stages in life, what to do during great loss, when to make financial pivots, plus how to plan ahead. So this is basically the We Not Claiming Brokenness episode, y'all, if, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> As always, I like to start each episode with a few recommendations based on our conversation. This episode's song of the week is Bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna. And that's for all you business owners who forget to pay yourself. So just that, that's real. This week's book is Get Good With Money by Tiffany herself. And while you're listening, reflect on this question. What part of your finances have you been afraid to address? Now, first, take a moment to address why. And then after, please remember, there is nothing to be afraid of. Now, let's get human to human with Tiffany Alice. I'm so glad and grateful that we've been able to spend, we get to spend a little bit of time together. Mm-hmm. Again, nice to meet you. Me too. And congratulations on just your success and your constant love and, and how you t- took teaching and something that you genuinely love from the bottom of your heart in a different way and made it a career. I think that's something that I I always am just such a fan of. So major congratulations to you on that. Thank you so, so, so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So with human to human, we always like to start with getting to the human of the matter. It's, it's the thing that I think breaks us down and reminds us how connected we really are. And so I first want to ask you, what's the last thing you forgave yourself for, for the first time?
2: Ah, the last thing I forgave myself for, for the first time, probably um, not asking for help. I always thought like I should do everything by myself. I don't need any help. Help is weakness. Help is a burden to other people. And um, I found myself in the last few years really leaning into asking for help and then almost beating myself up because like, why didn't you ask for help sooner? So I had to learn to forgive myself.
1: Yeah, isn't that the cycle? You find mm-hmm. out you learn something, then you're like, why didn't I learn it faster? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, how has that changed overall in terms of asking for help? Are you better at it now? Do you still have to go back to reminding yourself?
2: I am much, much better at it because I've had a couple of years practice. Um, and plus two, you know, the human brain learns. Like, you know, although we're it doesn't transform as quickly as when we were little. But when you do something and you get positive, um, like just a con- confirmation that like, yes, this change leads to something better for you, mm-hmm. you know, you you shift your thinking and then you shift your behavior. And so as a result, it's not so hard to ask for help as much as it was before, because mm-hmm. I see that on the other side of asking for help and receiving it is ease, you know? And yeah. so like, yes, it's gotten much, much, much easier. It's hard in the beginning, but yeah. much easier that I don't take on everything like I used to. I still have to sometimes remind myself, like, is this something that you can ask for help on? Is this something that you should do yourself? You know, you don't have to do all, all things by yourself, Tiffany, but I'm a good like 70% reformed, I'd say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so good. That's a great percentage. I'm I'm probably 60 i'll I'll go 60 yeah so still still some work there but one thing i really love about your work as a as a whole is breaking us breaking down some of the misconceptions when it comes to finances through age ranges right so i'm in my 30s and i think about how i thought about money in my 20s and you know i laugh and then i think about how i want to be prepared to talk about money in my 40s so first can we talk about some of those misconceptions let's talk about their twenties, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I was really afraid to get a credit card. I did not want the same troubles that I saw people in my world having. I was like, I'm not about to be in debt. So I'm going to protect myself by not having credit card at all. Then I played myself by not getting one and still had low credit. So (laughs) that turned out to be an interesting lesson. What would you say uh, is something that people need to be financially aware about and um, just aware about when it comes to their finances in their twenties?
2: So in your twenties, you're really building like the mindset that you're going to take with you moving forward. So being careful to your point, Stacy, about saying credit cards are bad. You know, I can't invest like having like those types of thoughts are going to be hard to break later, not impossible, but certainly hard to break. So you really want to work on your financial mindset. Mm-hmm. You also want to work on like the fundamentals, practicing budgeting, practicing savings, you know, practice like um being like uh, responsible with your credit, practice not getting into a ton of debt. And so the twenties really lay a strong foundation that you either build your financial house on or you're gonna have to reset that foundation later in your thirties and forties. So that's not ideal. Something mm. else that you have on your side in your twenties that you wanna consider is time, okay? Like they're not making more of that. So <laughs> in your twenties, you it, the sooner you get started, the sooner you can make your mistakes and the sooner you can get to, getting to the get to, right? Mm-hmm. Getting to getting good with money. If I'm gonna quote the title of my book. <laughs> And so like in, in your twenties, if you start investing or at least trying to invest, certainly are you going to make mistakes, but you can rebound, you know, in your twenties, like you can't in like, not the way you can, the way you would in your thirties or forties, because you have so many years to Mm -hmm. make those mistakes. So in your twenties, the number one piece of advice I would give you is to start imperfectly unsure, but to start.
1: Mm. Okay. So then we're in our 30s Mm -hmm. And we can either, this is up to you if you want to merge the thirties and the forties together or saying, okay, no, nope, totally different decades, totally different mindsets. What are, what are some of those things in our thirties that we can start practicing? Start, like you said, now we're past start. We are at, Hey, it's time to do, it's time to move past the fear of things you don't know, the things we can be learning. What are those things you would say in your thirties?
2: So in your thirties, I would say, Stacey, you really want to focus on learning to earn. Okay. So in your twenties, you know, you're the newest person on the team, Mm. you know, you are just figuring out budgeting and savings and things like that. So in your thirties, you're shoring up those skills, those basic financial fundamental skills. Um, But really in your thirties, I want you to lean into now that I've worked for a number of years, maybe you have degrees and certifications, but you certainly have experience So you're wanting to lean into earning more. Sometimes people forget that, you know, in order to grow wealth, you have to make more money, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not just about, you know, in your twenties, you might be clipping coupons and and trying to save, which is great to do in your thirties as well, but you offset your ability to save with also earning more. So that's where you're going to start to see leaps and bounds in your career. Do you go back to school? Do you get an additional certification? Do you start to job hop e- even more? Because they a study show that people who change jobs every two to four years make twice as much than people who stay. Mm. Um, so in your thirties, I would really be focusing on earning. You know, because you're going to start at like peak at your earning potential in your forties and fifties. But if you get that boat like going in your thirties,
1: mm. okay. So in terms of earning, are we talking about? And now there's multiple ways to earn, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in this day and age where we're talking about multiple streams of income. So you're not just talking about the job or you're mm-hmm. talking about the side hustle. You're
2: talking about the investments. You're talking, is that where all of that's happening as well? Yeah, it can. And honestly, it should. I don't necessarily believe unless... Like your, your main source of income is so overwhelming, but I believe in having multiple sources of income, especially as we tiptoe into what might be a recession. We're Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, so, uh, you know, so yeah, so in your thirties, so one, are you negotiating raises? Like you should really be doing that in your twenties, but especially in your thirties, speak up,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, ask for more. Um, in your thirties, yes, you might be like, okay, I have the side hustle, or maybe you're starting a business, you know, maybe that you've done that in your twenties, but really in your thirties, you're really looking to rev up that revenue. Um, in your thirties, maybe you're, you're really doubling down because if you've been practicing investing in your twenties, you've gotten good, hopefully at it. in your thirties, at least stable in a way that you're like, okay, I know how to pick a stock. If that's what you're going to do. Um, I know how to start a business if that's what you're going to do. So like all things income, you know, in your thirties, if I could give one piece of advice, it would be really focused learning how to earn in a way um, that can be duplicated over and over because financial hardships come and go. Every 10 to 15 years or so, we have a recession. That is a natural part of the economy. And so knowing that you're probably going to live through at least two or three or four recessions in your lifetime. So if you're learning how to earn, then that allows you to have excess money to save, set aside for savings and investing. So when these things happen, you... If
0: you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. at participating mcdonald's
2: have some sort of like financial cushion in place so earn 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 in your 30s yeah it's assumed that when we get into our 40s and our 50s our finances are supposed to look a
1: certain way but with how the financial landscape has changed and how it's been affected so much by technology how can we get ahead of this in our 30s and our 40s as we are building towards financial freedom
2: so I like to call it financial wholeness, right? So that's wholeness. Like, mm-hmm. There we go. So that's there when go. like your financial foundation is intact that you can, it can see you through the good and the bad times, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, so the things you so you have to understand that there's three kind of stages to money. There is the, like the, the foundational stage. So the, the kind of like the, the management like stage of money, there's the earning stage and then there's protection right? So in your forties, you're going to be leaning toward setting things in place, especially for protection. Now here's the thing, all the things I'm sharing twenties, thirties, forties will happen all across each of these generations, but you might be leaning more heavily toward protection in your forties. So protection typically looks like insurance, increasing your insurance. That is the purpose of insurance is to protect your assets. You have life insurance, you know, where if you have children, certainly you're going to want life insurance. If you have debt, you've got a mortgage, you've got student loans, you've got a car, you're going to want to have life insurance. The rule of thumb is 10 times your um, your annual income. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, you want to have a million dollar policy, you know, in place. So you might already have a policy in your twenties and thirties. That's great. But if you're forties, you definitely want to make sure, do I have policies in place? Do I have, um you know, there's renter's insurance it's my health insurance because in your forties, you know, you can't just survive off of, you know, yoga and water. Like, you know, you want to make sure that you are properly insured as far as like covers. What about disability insurance? Mm. You know, you throw that back out in your forties and you can't go to work and it's like disability will see you through until you can get back to work. So there's all these insurances that you really should be looking toward and leaning into because that is the protection mode. If you start that in your forties, you don't have to scramble in your fifties and sixties. So, mm. you know, Forties is all about um, about um, protection and and leaning into the tools that are available to you. And so, one of the ways to find those tools certainly is a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, I recommend a certified financial planner because additional um, in order to become a certified financial planner. You have to have um, more years um, as a financial advisor. You have to have taken like additional tests to, to get that certification. So it's like the gold standard for financial advisors, a certified financial planner. Um, also too, with a certified financial planner, some financial advisors allow you to pay, you know, I've seen people who you can pay um, um, hourly. Some people you can pay, they take a percentage of the assets they are managing for you, which is not okay if you don't have money to pay out of pocket my ideal is to pay out of pocket to our financial advisor even if you're just like how much is the hourly rate can I meet with you once a year just to go over my financial picture mm-hmm. um and so your 40s then too you know leaning into you should hopefully have a financial advisor if it makes sense for you you know maybe by your 30s but definitely by your 40s as your assets begin to grow because they're going to help you with that protection when I met with my financial advisor three years ago she was like you're, you're, um, invested like a tw- you're, you're, um, protected like a 25 year old. And that was the last time I had gotten insurance when I was mm-hmm. 25 in my twenties. And she was like, you don't have, you are underinsured. If somebody falls at your property, like, you know, so I have, now I have an umbrella policy, a million dollar umbrella policy. Mm-hmm. So that means I have homeowner's insurance, but then I have this larger policy on top of that in case someone sues me, because now that I've grown wealth for myself, I've got this million dollar policy, Mm -hmm. you know, this umbrella policy, I would have never known about it because I would have heard an umbrella policy. Basically it's a policy over the other policies. It's an umbrella. So, but what's so great about it is I was like, oh, that sounds like a lot. It's $400 for the year. And Mm. I was like, Oh, okay. And so I would have probably not looked into that had I not gotten the financial advice from my my certified financial planner because um, I myself am my financial educator, not a certified financial planner. Um, and so, yeah, it's like leaning into protection, protection, protection. Um, so that way you can start to leave a legacy for when you're no longer here, like your planner or yourself, you should be looking at your beneficiaries. You should honestly, with every change to your, your life, Stacey, look at your beneficiaries. Many bank accounts allow you to have beneficiaries, your life insurance policies for sure. If you have a policy through your job, your 401k um, will have beneficiaries. And so you wanna make sure because for example, when Kobe Bryant passed away, I think his baby was not yet one yet. So he and his wife had like a, a system that when a child turned one, they were added to all of their policies or all their, their trust. And the baby had not been won yet, and he passed. Now, this is an irrevocable trust, which usually that trust is locked and cannot be opened back up again. Um, and so, but thankfully, you know, she was able to petition the courts and say, let's be real, Kobe would want this daughter to have access to, like the rest of her sister. So they were, they allowed that to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, but if, if, if you don't have like your beneficiaries in place and, you know, your money could be going to the wrong person, let's just say you were married and then got divorced and married again and you forgot to take your ex-wife off if something happens to you then your ex-partner is by law you know the beneficiary form trumps even what what you have in your will or your trust they don't care the beneficiary form says it goes to ex-partner even though you have a whole new wife If that's whose name is on it, that's who's receiving that policy. So Mm -hmm. protection, protection, protection in your 40s. Yeah, across the board, but especially in your 40s. Sure, sure. You talked about having a financial
1: planner. Is it ever too early to have one? Like if I am making $40,000 a year, for instance, do I need to have a financial planner? Or because I think there's a, a big myth of like, I'm not making enough money to have one yet, which I hope is not true, but I'd love you to tell to take us deeper in that.
2: Well, it depends. Everybody doesn't need a financial planner, but I will say the financial planners you can have. Like there's this great website, XYZplanning, I think, .com, where you can find someone that maybe has just an hourly rate and you're like, an hourly rate can be like $150. Mm-hmm. So you might meet somebody and you're like, you know, what once a year, just so someone can look at my whole financial picture and kind of give me some advice, I'm going to save up $300 to do so. I would not suggest that you have a financial planner like I have, which I meet with her regularly. I pay her $15,000 a year. It's a lot of money, but she doesn't just do me personally. She does all of my businesses as well. You know, she helps us set up our retirement account, helps us with some of our tax choices. And so the fee is hefty because the lift is large. You know, Um, if I would say sometimes just even meeting, just asking questions. Also too, if you have a 401k, oftentimes it's tied to a financial planner already. So look on your statement mm-hmm. and, you know, like if you're already basically paying for it, tap that person on the shoulder and ask questions. If you're like, oh, I'm not really sure, start there, you know? So I would say that it's, it's certainly if you're making a, a um, a, good amount of money, six figures or more, you know, it's probably more likely that you might need to at least sit down with a financial planner, but it doesn't mean if you're making 40,000 that you can't have that call, that one hour call just to see, like, I got some questions about what choices I should be making. And like I said, at the very least lean into the one that's provided for you. If you have a 401k. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So I, I, I definitely wanted to put out that at any stage in your life, it is important to have somebody, you know, look over your finances because you want your finances to grow. It doesn't mean that whatever you're making now means you always be making that you want to have more advice around that so that you can build and grow so I love that and we talk about debt a lot publicly right everybody's talking about like how to protect yourself from debt what is good debt and what is bad debt
2: um I don't know there's any such thing as good debt I guess there's like (laughs) bad debt and worse debt because to me owing somebody is never the ideal right and so I wouldn't call it good it's just like not as bad Sure. Maybe it's like bad debt and not as bad debt. Sure. So not as bad debt is debt that you've incurred for a particular, um, valuable in exchange for for potentially what could be an asset, right? So you you know maybe you've got debt for education within reason that can be not as bad debt because the hope is that you'll be able to pay that back as a result. But like for example, I remember when I was in high school, my Spanish teacher went to Princeton University, which is an Ivy League school, and I'm like. I don't know. Does that make sense? Because Princeton, amazing school, very expensive. And now you're my Spanish teacher making $50,000 a year. How do mm-hmm. you pay that back? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so, but let's say, for example, a mortgage is also not so bad debt, right? So we, it would be great if we can all buy our houses cash, but that's not realistic for most people. And so you're, you're getting a mortgage, which is then, in order to get this asset that typically increases value over time. Not always, as we've seen during the 20, um, 20, um, 2009, 10 recession after that, that housing crash, right? But typically a home raises in value. So that's the, that kind of debt is like, I'm incurring this debt, but on the back end, there is an increase for me financially. That's the aim. Mm-hmm. Now, bad debt is like credit card debt. So certainly if you swipe your card and pay it off every month, great. But if you don't, You swipe your card, most people are swiping and they're not purchasing something that's going to give them more money on the back end. It's a loss overall. So you swiped your card, you spent $100 on that shirt or that dress or whatever. If you don't pay it off in full, you've now spent $100 plus the fee that the credit...
0: Hey there,
1: ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?
0: Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
2: Car company is charging you. Mm. So that's considered, to me, the, the real bad debt, which is when you are borrowing money on something that you're not gonna get the money back from and actually is gonna put you even, you're gonna lose even more money than the initial borrow. So right, that would be right, bad right. debt. So just right. being mindful that especially as we tiptoe into this recession, potential yeah. recession, yeah. that um, you want to be mindful of entering into debt um, because you're gonna need that extra monthly money for life and for living and mm-hmm. for your bills and all, all those other things. So if you don't need to borrow right now, I would not.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to credit cards, what should our relationship be with them at this point? How many should we have? What kind of places should we have them at? What would you say is a
2: healthier relationship with credit cards? So a healthy relationship with credit cards is to understand that credit cards are not good or bad. They just are. A credit Mm -hmm. card is like a hammer, right? It's a tool. And the person that gets to decide if the hammer does the right or the wrong thing is the person who has the tool in their hand. You right? A hammer can build your financial house. A hammer can destroy your financial house, just like a credit card. Right. Mm. And so if you use a hammer, well, you've got this tool that can potentially help you or, or at least um, if it doesn't make financial life easier, because you can use a credit card to do that, at least it doesn't make it worse. So the way to use a credit card properly, ideally is using a credit card regularly and paying it off will help to increase your credit score for when you actually do need to borrow big time. You have a credit score to back that up. That's why you said earlier, Stacey, that you stayed away from credit cards and you ended up having bad credit. The reason is because no credit is also bad credit.
1: Mm.
2: They call it a thin file. So Mm. imagine if I'm like, okay, Stacey, you can decide between me and my bonus daughter, Alyssa, to borrow your car. I have had one accident um, but I've been driving for the last, you know, 20 years. She's had no accidents and she just started driving last week. Who are you more likely to let borrow, even though she's had no accidents and I've had one, but I've been driving for 20 years. She's been driving for 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 one. Right, week. right, right. You see, right. Yeah, it's yeah. like they're yeah. like, eh, you don't have any experience. You just got in here <laughs> Yeah. You're like, you don't got any experience in borrowing. You're you're, you're not safe yeah. to lend to yeah. because you're an in- inexperienced borrower. And so, so that's why credit cards can help with that. So one of the best ways that I tell people to use a credit card is to get a credit card. Um, so, so like you say, if you were like, I don't want to rack up any credit. Great. Find the cheapest bill on your budget. So let's just say it's, you know, like a gym membership and it's 10 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. have the gym members girl. Chart. I
1: wish $10. <laughs> well, you know, like gym. planet
2: fitness, you know, they're like 10 bucks a month, like $9 or whatever, you know, you get in the new year. So like, right. So 25, 30, but whatever it is, right, bucks a month, right. but something under $50, ideally put it on that card, put that card away at home. Don't mm-hmm. take it with you. Mm-hmm. Have your checking account automatically pay off that card every month. So if yeah. you pay off that card, that's the, the loop. It gets charged by the gym. It gets paid off by your, by your bank right. account. Right, you know right. but just make sure that you pay after the statement date it will be right on your, your statement mm-hmm. it just means this is the date that we said hey stacy used her card because you want them to say like we used it and then when you pay it off they'll say hey stacy paid it off so if you use it like that that's the best ways to use a card if you're nervous about using a credit card mm-hmm. now here's like the worst way you know you use your credit card you swipe you swipe you swipe and then you pay the minimum forever and ever and ever Credit cards by law now have to show you will take you to pay something off if you pay the minimum. Sometimes it says like 10, 20 years. So you can literally pay 10 times more than the thing that you purchased mm. if you only pay the minimum right. for the next you know, 10 years. And that's not what we're wanting. We're wanting to use credit cards responsibly. I do not think getting a store card, unless let's just say if I was an interior designer or maybe I was, a, um, let, let's just say I'm a contractor. So getting a store card at like a Home Depot or Lowe's would make sense. Hmm. But normally a store card is not a good idea because you can only use it at that store. And the encouragement is buy something from the store. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, but there are some caveats to that, you know, Mm um, where say, for example, when I was renovating my home, I considered getting a store card at like Home Depot because I could get like discounts, but then I decided instead to use a particular credit card that I use that has travel rewards So I was like, "Mm, bigger than discounts at Home Depot. um, I would like to be able to travel for free after I finish doing this house,
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know?
2: And so mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're picking out credit cards, you want to figure every credit card you have, if you have a credit card, you don't need a ton of them, you know, unless you're one of these people who collects points and you're super like savvy with it. One to three is more than enough. Um, And so I, I, I like to, I always, every credit card that I have points because I love to travel. I have gone on so many trips that I did not have to pay for a ticket because I was able to use my credit card to do so. Mm
1: -hmm. And if you
2: are super, super savvy, this is only for people who have no problem paying their bills on time, are not behind on anything else, are not in debt for the most part, except for like, you know, maybe like your mortgage and your student loan, that you can put all of your expenses on a credit card and pay it off every month in full, like you would a bill. You know, Mm. so you put your water bill, your light bill, the garbage bill, all on a credit card, Mm -hmm. and then you pay it off every month. In doing so, you rack up more points, whether it's cash back rewards, gas. Some people have gas credit cards, travel credit cards. So I know a lot of my friends that travel for free because they put all of their monthly bills on a credit card, pay it off every month, lump sum, and then reap the rewards of those points. But do not do that if you're already having trouble paying off credit cards, because if you do that and you don't pay it off every month in full, now you have your whole life on this credit card that is like rapidly... um, um, charging you interest and yeah. becoming more and more expensive day by day. So that's only yeah. for like people who are really ready for that step.
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I really like that. That's a nice little hack. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I
2: like that. And the, the
1: interesting thing about money is we obviously know that it can be very emotional mm-hmm. and I, emotional journal when it journey, when it comes to money. Now you have accomplished and experienced financial freedom and financial wholeness. Yes through that process, let's say in your earlier time, now you talk a lot about when you lost your job, when you went into foreclosure um, in your late twenties. So let's talk about your thirties and your emotional health during your thirties. And as you were growing and building yourself up, when you were making more money, did you say, Oh my God, I want to treat myself more. I want to, I, you know, were you ever afraid? Were you ever saying, Oh, it's happening. You know, there's this weird thing of like, when you put out something you really want and you see it happening, you now are like, afraid that you can actually experience it and achieve it. Did you experience
2: some of that in your thirties or in your forties? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Um, Stacey, honestly, I didn't start treating myself until I got to my forties. So I'm 42 now. Mm. And so in my thirties, I was terrified of making the mistakes I made in my twenties. So I didn't, I, I lived as if I was still like broke. I had what I call post-traumatic broke syndrome, and I was like, cause I really struggled in my twenties. I lost my job during the recession. I lost my, my condo, my home. I had to move back home with my parents. I mean, I was paying every bill late because I didn't have a job. I had gotten, become a victim of a credit card scam that left me $35,000 in debt. And then I had my student loans, which were like 50 something thousand. And then the condo, which was like 220. I was like $300,000 in debt. I was drowning. Mm. And so up until my early thirties, I was still struggling financially. I started the Nista because as I was digging my way out, people asked me to show them how I was doing so. So even by the time, I would say by the time I was 34, my business was making six figures um, and I still was living as if like that 20-year-old Tiffany that lost everything because I was too afraid to spend anything because I'm like, I don't want to go back. You know, when I didn't have anything, I was thinking about it like, you shouldn't have had that sushi two years ago. You'd have that, that $50 right now. You shouldn't have went on that vacation. You know what I mean? You start adding up the times that you spend money. And so I was too afraid to spend. So my business went from six figures when I was like 34, 35. Then by 37, my business was seven figures and it hit eight figures by the time my late thirties. So I was, by 37, I was, as far as assets, I'm trying to think, did I have like a million dollars in the bank? Um, uh, Maybe close to it, but as far as assets, if I looked at all the things, my home, like this and that, I definitely was on paper, a millionaire, you know, now I'm a millionaire on paper, but then also a millionaire, like if if I had to withdraw a million dollars, I could do that, Mm -hmm. you know, from my my investment accounts. But I was so scared still because I just thought to myself, I'm gonna go back and i'm going to i'm going to make mistakes again and certainly i still have made mistakes and i still do but it would take a lot for me to tumble what helped me was asking for help Remember I said earlier that that was the thing. Mm -hmm. So I found my financial advisor, Anjali. I interviewed like 20 financial advisors. And of the 20, they knew I was going to be a piece of work. Because I was like, "Mm, being part of the industry, right? So I have questions. (laughs) And so I was the most. And like of the 20, I interviewed. But you have to. You have to. Exactly. Because I'm like, you're not going to play me. Yeah. (laughs) And so of the 20, I interviewed four of them said, you know who you should speak with? Her name is Anjali. I think she'd be perfect. And I was like, well, who's this Anjali? So she was the last person I interviewed. And I put her through the ringer. And she passed with flying colors. Mm. Um, And I started working with her. And it allowed me to share the burden of my financial fears with someone else.
0: Mm. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say...
1: This is ludicrous.
0: But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois,
2: you know, so I was just like, well, what about this? And she was like, well, this would, this is what we would do if that happened. And what about that? And this is what we would do. And since then, now I don't have those fears anymore. You know, now I lean into the fact that I'm like, Tiffany, you are wealthy. You are legitimately a millionaire, not just like your physical assets, but your, your, you know, your investments and, and things like that. Like, you know. You, you can have things that you like could not afford before. I still sometimes hesitate when I'm like, I'm going to purchase something and I'm like, okay, so I know I can afford it, but what? Okay. So, cause I, like, for example, I, I text my sisters the other day, you know, we should go see Usher. I wanted to go see Usher's residency in Las Vegas. It's a lot of money. The tickets are a lot. And I was going back and forth with myself because I was going to treat my sisters. There's, there's five of us all together, five girls. Mm-hmm. And I was going to treat them, but I was going back and forth on like the expense of what it's going to cost. And I had to be like, Tiffany, the expense of the whole trip, even if you include flight and hotel is not even one tenth your monthly take-home pay, not mm-hmm. annual. And I had to tell myself that, and I said, it is a lot of money, but You are in a position now that God forbid you have a rough month next month. You live at 20% of your take-home pay girl. If that, Mm. like you have, you've been saving 80% of what you make. You have the excess because if not, what is the money for, you know, you donate, you give, you look after your parents and you still have access. Tiffany at some point, like what, what, how much will it take for you? You have to make a million dollars a month. For you to go to a a concert, you know what I mean? And so like, sometimes I have to have those conversations. So I'm loosening up a little bit. Sure, Um, sure. And so, yeah, so I, you know, for those who are like, you know, leaving wherever they were financially to wherever they are now, certainly these are conversations. Even Oprah, I started an interview with her. She said, sometimes she has to remind herself she can get both shirts. That she was in Gucci or someplace, and the shirt was expensive. It was like you know eight hundred dollars, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know if I should get the green one or the yellow. I really love both." Uh, And Gail has to be like, "You can afford to get both." She's like, "Oh my goodness, I can, okay, but it feels weird, and there's still a little bit of shame because you're like, oh, I don't want to be someone who is like flashy or spending too much, but then also you work really hard for this moment." So it's still something I struggle with, but not nearly what I used to, like how I used to struggle before. Sure. What is that shame? What is the like under underlying of that? Because it's shame, at least for me. And I suspect this is what Oprah's feeling is that, you know, there's so many people who don't have, and Mm. at one point you were the, I don't have. And does that make you, no matter how much you give, does that make you a bad person for having so much? you know, because the world comes kind of like is lopsided in like yeah. those who have and don't have. So sometimes, especially being a black woman, um, there's a struggle there where at first I was actually hindering myself from making money. Like I had kind of capped myself. Mm. Um, and I, At one point, it was really bad. I wasn't even paying myself from a very successful company because I felt ashamed for how much my other company was paying me. I'm like, this company is paying me so much. I don't need that additional money. Mm-hmm. So I had a whole company that was making good money and I was paying everyone on the team great money. Most people making six figures or more. And I was not taking a salary from that company to the point where my accountant was like, you're going to go to jail. I was like, what? He was like, You cannot have a company and not take what they call a reasonable salary, Tiffany, because the IRS looks at it like, why do you have a company that doesn't pay you? Are you washing drug money? What are you doing here? So that's what he meant. Like, I'm not really going to go to jail, but you know, like he meant like, you know, because that that does not make sense to have a company that doesn't pay you, but that's how deep the shame was. Mm. They're like, I don't need it. And it's like, great, take the money and give it away then, Tiffany, if that's what you're needing to do. And so I still work my way around how much is too much, You know, like I struggle. I don't know if other people struggle with that, but I feel like as a black woman, um, I struggle with how much is too much. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I'm still learning my way through that because I have not been wealthy for like, you know, my whole life. I didn't grow up. My parents were both Nigerian immigrants. And so I did not, you know, oh, grow up too. with wealth. I know. Girl I know your last name. I was like, I don't that- like <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so um so yes. Yeah, so I just like I like I said, I still struggle with that. Mm. As much as I give, as much as I look after people, as much as I'm still like, ah, oh, how much is too much? Like mm. for me, if I'm if I'm splurging on someone else, oh, there's nothing my parents can't ask me for. Got it you know, $200 on some, Oh no, no, that's too much. Tiffany. It's like, yeah, but your mom just asked you to rebuild the deck in the backyard. It's 12,000. And you were like, say less. I make the transfer today, you know? And so I'm trying to learn to treat myself the way I treat the people that I care about because don't I care about myself as well?
1: Absolutely. And that's such a, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think it's such a larger conversation about self-love, about our relationship with money, about our relationship with money, shame, other people we love. I definitely think that that's a, a, internal question that a lot of us ask how much is too much, even on our way to financial wealth and, or if we've already achieved financial wealth, we're definitely still talking through that. And at this point, do you, do you have like the percentage that any business owner should be taking
2: from their business? Well, I'll say this, that your business, a a solid business, ideally you want to be making a net profit of at least 25%. Like if you're not making 25%, it's kind of like, and now you might be in a growth year where you're like, I'm spending a lot of money back into the business. And so for clarity, gross profit, you know, let's just say your business makes $100,000. That's in total. And you, that means you ideally, you don't want to be spending more than $75,000 in payroll operating expenses to run the business that at the end, when everything is paid of that hundred thousand, there's $25,000 left. And of that $25,000, now your, your payroll, because there's payroll and there's also owner's draw. There are salary calculators that says a CEO of a business that makes $100,000 a year should be making this. Make that, you know? <laughs> and then the owner's draw, that 25%, you can decide how much of it, you know, am I going to reinvest back into the business because we're in a growth season? Am I going to have that 25% that's left over at the end of the year as a bonus, which is an owner's draw? You know, Mm -hmm. And so like, so I won't say like what's right or wrong because honestly, business is so nuanced, but in general, I would say like a, a, a solid business. You're wanting to be making at least 25% after everything is paid, including yourself, as far as your, 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 um, your uh, payroll is concerned, you know? And so like, yeah, so for me, you know, I wasn't doing that. Like literally it was paying me zero. I wasn't taking owner's draw. This is a multi million dollar business. I wasn't taking owner's draw, so no lump sum at the end for me. I was not taking payroll. That's when my accountant was like, Girl, you tried it. And so (laughs) it didn't make sense. This is this multi million dollar business because Mm. I had a business that was almost eight figures a year that Mm. was paying me candidly seven figures a year. Mm. So Mm. I was just like, Girl, how much more do you need than a million dollars plus a year? Mm. You know, Mm. but it's like, but you can't have a business that doesn't pay because then you're not a business. You know, then open yeah. up a nonprofit, sis. That's what we're doing, oh. which is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, okay. and so now that's not true. Now I pull from that business. I allow it to pay me, even though i probably still being paid too too little. But I do take you know my my bonus, my owner's draw. I still pay my employees incredibly well. That that business that I mentioned, it's, uh, the budget needs the business because I've got an online school as well called the literature Academy. But the budget needs the business. Our profit margins are tremendous because the overhead is really low. Um, I've only got like two employees and some contractors and it's the business of Tiffany. So speaking and teaching and spokesperson work, there's not much overhead there. So we're 80% net profit.
1: Mm. So that
2: means if we make a million dollars, 800,000 is what I get to keep. Mm. So I get to decide what to do with that. Like, do I want to absorb the 800,000 as my bonus? You know, do I, but I invest back in a company. I also save tremendous amounts. Of course you have to pay taxes, you know, And so like, yeah, those are things to consider, but most businesses are not 80% profit. That's just, you know, like typically if you're making a tremendous profit like that, you might be underpaying people, but because it's the business of Tiffany, I don't, there's not, no one else can step on stage. No one else is writing the book, you know? So I, I, I have someone who I pay really well, six figure, six figure. So that's, that's not the issue. It's just more so that like, it's mostly just me being me. Yeah. Um so that way yeah. the overhead is low. But you want to look at that too, that if your profit is profit margin is super high, maybe you're not paying enough in 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 pay. So things to consider.
1: Mm. With the emotional health of emotional health, emotional health and finances. When we want to treat ourselves, right? And we we are making a certain amount of money. We're still on a journey towards financial freedom, but we want to treat ourselves. Sometimes mm-hmm. we go too big and sometimes we go too small. Yeah. Now, when we go, how, how do we make sure our goals when we want to treat ourselves? And I say that because I think there is this innate Spending. I mean, we're in a consumer environment. And so Mm -hmm. when we talk about, let's say we take a big trip and we want to, you know, we, maybe we splurge and we do a little more than we should. And then we come back and we realize, okay, I made 10,000 and I spent nine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that didn't really work out. So how do we make sure that we
2: are spending according to also still trying to reach a goal? So in business, you obviously that's I've been there where I've made the 10,000 and spent nine. And you're like, OK, that's that <laughs> profit margin is too low because there's like nothing left over to do anything. with. Yeah. And so you're going to want to look at like, am I paying to paying like, you know.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: Do I have to move on staff? Which I did. And are the pay, you know, is payroll inflated? Which it was. Am I spending too much on marketing? Which I was. So you want to look at that in your business. Like you want to look at, based upon your business, what percentages of payroll, operating expenses, those things, like where should you be? And then adjust accordingly, you know, like making that transition. In your personal life, you know, when you're trying to figure out how big or how small to go as far as splurging on yourself, one of the things that helps me is I set aside money for like splurging. And so I might say, okay, 5% of my income goes into the savings bucket, which is just an online only savings account. And I put my money there, you know, every single month and I might have a cap, you know? And then most months I might not splurge, but then when I want to splurge, I can look into that bucket and say, although this is more than I would normally spend, The last three or four months, I have not spent anything on a sport. So I have that money to spend Mm. without, I don't have to ask myself. So there is $4,000 sitting there. That's a lot of money to pay for whatever excursion. But I'm like, you know what? It's there because I've already paid my bills. I've already saved. I've already invested. I've done all the, this bucket is literally just for that.
1: Yeah. So whether
2: you spend 200 of the 4,000 or 4,000 all at once, you can do so freely knowing the rest of your financial life has been looked after. Yeah, so that is it. one of the ways that I'm able to offset. Oh, I don't know. I'm like, Tiffany, it's in your splurge bucket.
1: Yeah. 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 You know,
2: that's what it's mm-hmm. there for. You haven't splurged mm-hmm. in six months. That's why there's so much there. Yeah, You can afford it without regret and you can afford it without, without feeling like you're spending too much because that's what it's there for. Yeah,
1: what are some of the grilling questions you
2: asked the financial planner to find the right one? So I created like so in my book, I'm get Good with Money. I have this chapter about finding your money team, and I created this thing called my so-called financial life. And so if you actually go to getgoodwithmoney.com, and you could get the book there, but there's also a kit, like a, a toolkit. And in the toolkit, I I gave you like the blank my so-called financial life. Mm -hmm. which is like, I just basically put my whole financial life on paper. How much was in my bank accounts, how much I made, what my, if I had any credit card debt, everything I owned a home because I wanted them to see my financial life as a full picture. Mm -hmm. And then I was clear about what did I want? I'm like, okay, I want to be more than a millionaire just on paper. I want to be able to retire, you know, with um, uh, $5 million in a bank, say like, say five, 45. I, so I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish. And some of the questions I asked are, are you able to help me accomplish these things? Mm -hmm. Who was your typical client? So uh, there was one woman, she was great, but she typically worked with divorced women. That was Mm -hmm. her like jam. I was Mm -hmm. not a divorced woman, woman, Mm -hmm. another woman. She was great, but she typically worked with, um, uh, teachers. And so, although I was a, you know, a former school teacher, it was different. And so I wanted to know, do you have clients like me? And then you have clients who are doing better than me
1: mm-hmm.
2: because I want to know that you can help me get to that place. So I want to kind of be like your middle client, you know. And so when I found found Angeline, Angeline, she had clients that were, you know, 40, 50 million. I was like, great, because that means <laughs> sis, when I get there, you're prepared. Yeah. Two, she, you know, I was kind of like someplace in the middle. Um, also too, like what I loved about her, because I I you don't need this if you don't have a business, but I like the fact that she was um, had her CPA, she was a certified public accountant as well as a certified financial planner. So she had an accounting degree. So when she looks at like like me, I, of course I have an accountant, but I wanted her to be like another set of eyes to look at my business finances as well as my personal finances I'm with sure an accountant's is. mind as well as an advisor mind. So that was really helpful. But mm-hmm. like I said, if you're just regular, you know you don't have a business, that's not necessary. But I wanted that. And that's why I have to pay that premium because $15,000 a month for financial planning is a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's on the higher end of what you're going to pay. Um, but it was worth it to me because of like what she helps us with on the business end. And it's sure. a write-off for me because my business pays her because right, she right. helps so much with the business, right. you know, um, um, what else? So also too, how do you get paid? You know, some people, like I said, oh, there's hourly rates. They get paid out of pocket lump sum. They get paid a percentage of the assets they're managing for you. So you right. want to know how do you get paid? Right, right, um, right. How often are we going to meet? Like for Anjali, we have like a hardcore, big, big meeting every quarter. And then like smaller meetings between where it's like kind of a checkup meetings. And then sometimes I have a quick question and I can text her or sometimes even just quickly call her. Um, I can always email, you know, how how often can we communicate? Mm. You know, that's really important to ask because if they're like, oh, only two or three times a year, it's like, yes, for maybe our big, big, big meeting. But in between, there are going to be other things. Um, What other things do you offer? So when I first was looking for a financial advisor, I did not know that there were financial advisors that could also help with business. When Anjali was like, okay, you have these businesses, I can, she joins in on some of our financial calls
1: mm. because
2: she's there to re- represent my best interest as well as the business. Mm-hmm. So the business might say, you know, we should make these changes to the way we're going to like, you know, um, um, taxes. And she's like, actually, if we do that, Tiffany's gonna lose 20% of her take home pay. I don't think that's a good idea. You see, so she joins those calls too. I didn't even know that was possible. When we were looking at benefits, she was like, hey, do you know I can help you pick a benefits package? I was like, oh, I didn't know you did that. So she helped us pick so a benefit package, yeah. a retirement package. Everyone's like, I want Anjali. I'm like, she ain't taking on the coin. Because I didn't put all my friends onto Anjali. She's like, no, mas, so no more. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but you see, I didn't even, I didn't even know with all that I know that right. these were, these were possibilities. And so like, yeah, these were questions that I asked. And these are things that came up and biggest of all things, like this is someone who's going to be on your team. I want you to think about your financial advisor, hopefully your certified financial planner, almost like your doctor. You should be able to tell all your business, you know. Because if not, if you're holding back, or they make you feel uncomfortable or judged, that's not the right person. Like as much as I know, I don't feel any kind of way when we have our meetings asking questions. So, what does that word mean? Oh, okay. Well, what about if we do that? Okay. I read this thing in Yahoo Finance. Are we doing that? Oh, we are. Okay. Like I, mm-hmm. I never feel like she's like, well, dang girl, this, but you don't. Aren't you the budget needs? I'm like, but I don't know all the things. I never. Feel like that. I can ask any question I want. I take copious notes. She's like really good with getting back to me within like 24 hours. Um, and so you want to ask about things like that, that like, and also too, you just want to do a vibe check. Do I feel comfortable with this person? Do I trust yeah. them? And, um, yeah, it took, it took me year. It took me about, cause I've been, I have had like maybe four financial advisors in five years. So it's not, it's okay. If you didn't find the perfect one or you kind of outgrow people. That's why I want to also know who else do you have on your roster? I was like, okay, maybe when I get to a hundred million, I'm like, okay, I got to move on from Anjali. Fine. (laughs) But we got a long way off before we get there. Uh, Well, maybe not, you never know, but you know what I mean? Like you, sometimes you outgrow your financial advisor and that's okay too. But so you want to know like who else they work with, but yeah, those are some of the questions that I asked.
1: I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that's so important for people to know. Okay, not only is finding the person, you know, super possible and takes time, but here are some of the things to consider when you're looking for the right person. So that was really, really helpful. We have a segment on the show called our honest gems, okay. and I'd love to ask you some honest gems. Okay. What don't they tell you about finances in times of great loss?
2: Great loss meaning when you lose Great somebody. loss
1: could mean when you lose somebody Um, when you lose a lot of money, when you lose a home, when you lose a job, any type of great loss, what is something they don't really tell us about that time in finance?
2: I unfortunately lost my husband last year due to, he had an aneurysm suddenly he was 41. And what I didn't know was how important the choices that we made prior were going to be like, Mm -hmm. I get to just miss him. And there are no, I'm not worse off financially. He didn't leave me with any debt. Um, I have a, a a bonus daughter. She's you know my stepdaughter and there's no child support. There's no, you know, he owned his car outright. We own both of our homes outright. And so I didn't like what they don't tell you. You don't realize that aside from the loss, oftentimes there's just great financial loss, if not for the planning ahead of time,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: and I think something that they don't tell you too, is that you don't have to have a lot of money to make that the, 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 those choices, like my husband, he worked for the city of Newark. He had a state job. He never made over $60,000 a year. Some of the choices that he, so many of the choices that he made with his life insurance and things he made before we got together. So making the 60,000, he made these choices that has left my, my bonus daughter with enough money to purchase her own home. When she's ready, she's only 15 now to have school paid for you know, and so I just say all that to say that like you don't have to make a whole lot to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, so that's what I would say that like you know they don't tell you that during great loss that like there could also be like big financial ramifications. Not that you can plan for great loss, but you should just be planning in general.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Uh-huh. What's something they don't tell us about finances and self-awareness
2: that? you will only your money is only going to be good as you believe yourself to be good with it that you know if you feel like i'm really bad with money i'm broke i know people who make multiple six figures and they are broke i know people who make forty thousand dollars and they're investing and they're doing really well that your money is only as good as you are and so like if you're really wanting to shift where your finances go you have to shift internally too
0: who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Hmm.
1: What don't they tell us about finances and physical health and longevity?
2: That not having enough money to take care of yourself um, can take a toll on your mental health which then takes a toll on your physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, like I know people who, because they're struggling financially, um, have high blood pressure and that's taking a toll on their health. Um, and I know people who have a ton of money, but are just overwhelmed by not knowing how to manage it because they have not asked for help also have high blood pressure and that's Mm -hmm. taking, you know, that's taking a toll on their health. Um, and so yes, that Money is not everything, but it is a critical component to being an adult. And so it behooves you, no matter what age you are, to set aside time to slowly but surely work toward getting better at it. Like it's it's an ongoing process. Like where I am now, I'm better than before, but I still have ways to go. I'm never going to be done getting better at, at, at getting good with money.
1: Yeah, yeah. To go back to um, our first question, and you talked about planning, and and no, you cannot plan for great loss, but to plan in general, what are some of those things that we do put off, right, based on fear or shame, or what are a few of those things we need to be thinking about?
2: So, in general, you want—I mean, at the bare minimum, but if you don't do anything else today, go look at your beneficiaries. Do you even have beneficiaries on your your your? I don't care if it's your mom, your dad. Make it intentional. Mm -hmm. Like when I met with Anjali, my husband and I met with her. he, I had, I was not with him. So on his beneficiaries for, for the job was Alyssa's mother. And what if I had not met with Anjali and, you know, we know now that he's passed away and then all of these things come up and I find out that all of the insurance, possible, everything else is everybody else's name, but mine, you know, although that would not have been necessarily financially devastating to me just because, you know, I've built a business and I built wealth for myself, but certainly it would have been honestly, emotionally kind of like devastating, like, Oh, wow. We didn't even handle this business. And so, mm-hmm. like changing, updating your, you should be looking at them every year. If you have a child, update it right away. You get married soon, get married, update it. So, th- that's something that you want to look into updating your beneficiaries, increasing your insurance if it makes sense. You know, one of the things my husband did that was really smart was that his job gave him the option to increase his life insurance and he took that option. And that's why, you know, my bonus daughter does not have to worry financially moving forward. Hmm. you know um other things to think about is where are your financial papers I literally after my husband he's like so old school he he had this like lock box like you know I don't know it looks like I don't even know how to describe it it's like this little metal box that he kept in his closet but his his um birth certificate was in there all of his financial papers and things so when he passed away I wasn't rifling through it was like oh it's here I was always laughing I'm like this old man with his like <laughs> like but everything was right there and it made yeah. it so much easier like okay um so that just made life easier too somebody in your life should have access to your codes so I knew his like all of his passwords because he always used my computer to log in and with my computer you can save passwords and 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 usernames. so I always just did that because I'm like so he wouldn't have to remember I'm so glad that I did because logging into things, I didn't have to say, wait, I don't I don't know. And at the very least, if you don't have that, get the password to to your loved one's phone. Because in so doing, your phone is the key. So let's just say I wanted to log into his account and I didn't know the password. You can reset the password. It's going to send an email. And typically that person's email, the app for that email is on their phone. So you're able to go in and change the up and update the password to one that you can remember. Mm -hmm. So keeping a phone on for a year after someone passes away is, is super important. But that's, that was something that was like, the phone is really your key, you know, because also too, like I, I had to freeze his, his, um, his credit Anjali told me that sometimes someone people pass away and they're people who literally wait for someone to pass away or they'll be reading the obituaries and they try to steal grieving. And so I went in, isn't that so terrible right away? And I froze his credit. So that could not happen. Um, wow. if you are partnered and you have a significant other, your, your husband, your wife, or whatever, um, having at least one joint bank account, because once the bank finds out that your partner has passed away, they usually freeze all the bank accounts and then you have to go get an the state. And it's just, it's a lot, but I was able to, because we had a, savings account and a joint checking account to transfer all of his individual account money to our joint account, because you could always transfer account to account. So it's like his name is the only one on this account, but his name is also on this account. So I was able to transfer and then um, pull out the, the money and the funds to, to pay for funeral costs and things like that. And then um, then I could tell the bank, you know, you can go ahead and close those other accounts because I was able to pull that money out and not have to go through the rigmarole of what it looks like when you don't have access to your loved one's bank account right away, especially if you're not a beneficiary on the bank account. Mm. So these are things that, you know, how could you know these things? Um, but I share them now. I mean, if I'm being candid, I don't have to work anymore if I don't want to. Like, I've built enough wealth for myself that I could just live off 4% of interest. They call it the 4% rule, which is just. The money that you have invested, if you only withdraw four percent, which is typically half of what um, money has generated in growth over the last like hundred years, it's been uh, generated about seven to eight percent. If you're invested in the market, is typically the annual return. So some some years you have a twenty percent return, some years you have a you know a negative ten percent return, but on average you're looking at like a seven to eight percent return. So if you only withdraw four percent, that means you'll never have to touch the principal typically, and you can continue to live. So with that in mind, if I just lift off 4% of my assets invested, I would still take home multiple six figures a year. So I don't have to work anymore because my life doesn't even cost me multiple six figures a year, but Mm -hmm. I continue to do the work because one, it brings me joy because I love teaching. But two, I think it's so important to share these messages and these lessons that I'm learning because had these things not happened, how would I know? Mm. And so if I can share it with you and make you say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to update my beneficiaries. Oh my gosh. I'm going to, you know, make sure I know my partner's, you know, um, phone code, you know, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get, you know, order from Amazon. I actually ordered like um, um a fireproof like bag that I put all my financial papers in and showed my sister where it is in my house. Cause God forbid, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I put all that stuff there, you know, and like I let her know this is the password to my, to my laptop just in case I don't change it so you can have access, like all of my passwords are saved to the laptop as a result you know I got my will in place which I did not have before my trust should be done by the end of this month if not next month um, and so these are things that I were dragging my feet on I probably wouldn't have gotten done True. had not been for this tragedy so I just feel like like you know I I believe that when you learn a lesson and you know it's your duty to pass it along. And so that's why I continue to do so.
1: Yeah. And we appreciate you so much. And I, I um just want to share my condolences to you, but also thank you so much for the joy that you still give and that you really exude through your teaching and through these lessons. And that that's just the human, human love to just share with you there. And you, you brought up the recession a couple of times, which I wanted to just circle back with, mm-hmm. are there some recession proof, side hustles out here that we can kind of start either start or make sure that we are investing in and paying more attention to as I think we keep saying, are we going to a recession? But I think we know what's happening. (laughs)
2: Yeah. So I don't know that there's recession proof side hustles, but certainly there's some industries that are recession like resistant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously the healthcare industry, especially now, like if you're a nurse, I mean, you have to darn near come there. And like, you know, like fall asleep on the job drunk before the, and they even then they're gonna be like, girl, go home and come back tomorrow because we need you. <laughs> <laughs> and so there, I mean, there is no such thing as like a job that is like totally stable that you can never get let go of. sure. But, sure. You know, certainly right now, more than ever, we need people in that healthcare industry. Honestly, the financial education industry is really healthy during like, Bad times for me, as far as the, my business, good times for everybody else is when the economy is booming. Y'all don't want to hear nothing about budgeting and saving. You're like, la, 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 la. Girl, the good times are rolling. Leave me Mm -hmm, alone. mm -hmm. But when recession hits, business is typically booming because people are like, so what were you saying again about that budget? You know, so I will say the financial industry tends (laughs) to have an upsurge, at least from what I've seen in the, this is my third recession. Um, Also, I would say, hmm, I mean, there's just some things like people are always going to need childcare, no matter what, you know, that's something that like, doesn't go out of style. Um, One thing that I probably have seen an uptick in is like digital tutoring, you know, like um, my, my stepdaughter, she needed tutoring in math and, you know, because of COVID, we didn't want to meet anybody in person. So a lot of my friends I found when I asked them, do you guys do tutoring online? I would say at least half of them were like, yes. So there's an uptick there. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, I feel like stuff when it comes to kids, people are quick to cut other things off, but not stuff when it comes to their children. So that's something that you might want to consider. Yeah. Um.
1: That's a good yeah. one. That's a good yeah. one.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm, but if, if you're wanting to prepare for a recession, you want to consider, I call it your noodle budget. You're like, if you had to eat ramen noodles budget, like you were in college, you want to consider what it, would my noodle budget me- be? Meaning if I had to get rid of any excess, the non necessities, what are my what are my necessity expenses? How much do they cost me a month versus my regular budget? You don't have to live at your noodle budget, but you want to drop down and get your noodle on if you lose your job, if it gets really hard. But a lot of people do not identify what those expenses that you could drop are ahead of time. And so they end up spending more money when they're not making any money for too long. Like when I lost my house due to foreclosure in 2008, 2009, 2010 actually, um, I still had cable on. Why, girl? You know you're losing your house. That that is an expense that could have gone away and gone into my pocket as I prepared to be put out my house. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right, and so that's right. something you want to prepare. Increase your savings if you're able to now. Savings for two reasons: one, so you have a buffer. But if you're someone who like financially is super stable, savings so you can get some of these good companies that are going to go on sale. There are good companies that that cost less in the market, not because they're not doing well, but because the economy is down overall. So like, it's like, you know, you get a chance to really invest in like, like assets that are on sale. Homes might be going on sale. We'll see mm-hmm. how the housing market is, is affected. So getting your savings together to be able to take advantage of things that are on sale because the economy is down. So these are things to consider. So you can see your way through the recession and maybe even thrive your way through it. Yes,
1: that's what we hope. That's what we hope.
2: Oh, I was just
1: asked to ask you your mm-hmm. thoughts on crypto.
2: Um, so my thoughts on crypto are this, that it's not going anywhere. Right. I don't believe in being super aggressive on crypto. No more than like 5% of my total, total portfolio would ever go to crypto for now. Because the, the funny thing about crypto is crypto was supposed to be, hey, if the market goes down, crypto will likely go up and be stable. We see the lie detector has determined that's a lie. So it's like crypto win, crypto win, like we thought it was going to be, but I also don't think it's going anywhere. So I'm not, I don't sure. think you throw crypto out the window. I just think that, you know, you don't put anything into crypto that you can't afford to lose, just like with anything. And mm. you don't, I I don't believe in being super aggressive in something so speculative. That's still yeah. wildly swinging. And so that, yeah, that's my thoughts on crypto.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you on that in terms of not, it's still wildly swing. That's good. It's still, um,
2: it's, I don't its know way.
1: If- yeah. yes, there we go. There we go. Cause yeah, I was like, so- is there
2: any certainty in the financial space though? No, but there, but for example, homes don't typically wildly spring swing. Right. So like we know home, home for the most part, you know, go up in value slowly, but surely they do even the market. We understand the ups and downs, the cryptocurrency market is it's, it's the wild, wild West. It's still so new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that because there's a great risk, there is great potential reward. crypto, but then also you could lose everything. But like I said, I suspect that crypto will find its way, but it might be another, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, who knows, you know? So yeah.
1: Before we wrap, I would love to ask you this last question. Have you learned anything new about yourself and from your interpersonal relationships in your world? Last Mm -hmm. thing you learned about yourself?
2: The last thing I learned about myself is that I can... I can trust the people around me because I didn't so obviously because of the loss of my husband, I've I've been doing therapy and I, I've been someone who I just take care of everything. You know, I'm not going to ask for help. It's, I'll just do it. I got it. I'll just, even with my employees, I just be doing everybody's work. They're like, what, why do you have me here? I'm like, don't worry about it, girl. I don't want to be a bother as if I'm not paying people. And so, Hmm. and the reason why I was doing that is because somehow I had decided that I could not trust people to show up for me in a meaningful way, not because they had not done so. I just had decided that, that it would be just too much work for someone to look after me, even though I was looking after everybody else. And so my therapist was like, you know, where is the example of that? You know? And so I finally, because after when my husband passed away, I couldn't do anything. You know, I didn't have it in me. And Mm -hmm. so I had to lean in to my family and friends and the people that work for me and to be like, I don't have it in me and being able to lean back and for them to catch me, it was like this thing you had in your head that you have to take care of everything that only you can do it. You know, I learned that like, that's not true. I can trust people to show up for me in meaningful ways and they want to. They want to. So that was huge, huge, huge lesson. So I try my best now to not do all the things. Like I'm still the overgiving Tiffany, but I also am learning to receive as well.
1: That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing and for dropping so many wise tips and um, through your story and through your experiences. And I really hope that you guys resonate with some of these things and take some of her tips quickly, um, swiftly, if you can. Thank you so much for joining us on the Human Human podcast and congratulations to you on your book and continued success and your mentorship program. If you wanted to talk about that a little bit as well, I think that's such a powerful, powerful place that you show up for people.
2: Yeah, so because I love teaching, one of the things mm-hmm. I started when I got back from like grief leave is that I, I already have like ten mentees that I talk to on a monthly basis. Every every day, women ask me to be their mentor. I've made over thirty million dollars in business gross. Remember we talked about gross, but still mm-hmm. that's still mm-hmm. impressive. And you know I have a New mm-hmm. York Times best selling book, a uh, uh, like a um, a very popular podcast, Brown Ambition. All these things that I've been able to accomplish, I want to pass that legacy on through knowledge. And so I started a um. A mentorship program called my mentor um my mentor Tiffany it's at my mentor tiffany.com uh, it's patreon um, that's the platform and I mentor other women in business whether you've been in business for years you're just thinking about it you're you know you're you're starting and yeah so it's been really awesome over there we got like over 1600 uh mentees. It's mm. like 10 bucks a month honestly I don't do it for the the money I mean it's nice you know obviously to get paid but the truth is it's nominal in comparison to like the, to my total business. Um, but I do it because it just, it's a, it's my happy place where I get to be my full teacher mode, teacher self. And yeah. I pour so many, so much into my mentees and I just love to see them grow. So yeah. So if you're interested in you have a business or, you know, you're thinking about having a business or you just want to get mentored in general, because we just talk in general that you can go on head to my mentor, tiffany.com and, and join me there.
1: Tiffany Alice, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Human to Human podcast and this episode with Tiffany Alice, aka The Budgetista. Check out The Budgetistas' online Live Richer Financial Movement. You'll find courses, books, and a network of people who are taking a holistic approach to finances. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like or someone you know could really use these resources as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at human to human with Stacey Ike. I'm your host, Stacey Ike. And remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness. So let's take the next step together. This episode was produced by executive producer Stacey Ike, producer Paris McCoy, and associate producer Emma Jackson, audio engineer Brian Schaefer, theme music Pieces by After the Fall, music released by Chill Out Records, post-production audio by Revolts, and special thanks to our guests, supporters, and the entire team at human to human Productions.
0: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
1: This is ludicrous.
0: But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm.